Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. I am your host and I'm joined by my co-hosts and brothers, Brian. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Sorry, that sounded and, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I just and, got caught with my pants down there. Like, literally, my pants were down. Anyway, well, while yeah. he pulls them back up, I'm going to introduce <laughs> my other brother, <laughs> Jeffrey. Yes, it is I, the host How of the you? podcast. Thank you for introducing me. Other host. <laughs> um, Guesser host. Very common guest, Tyler. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's correct. How are you guys doing today? Good. Uh, yeah, doing well. Doing well. Fan fucking incredible, my friend. Thanks for asking. Um, sensational. Cool. That's a new word I've been really dusting off. Speaking of fan fucking incredible, this week's topic is actually related to that word. Fan uh, fucking incredible. It is. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about fan fucking theories. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to – have we – are you guys sure we haven't talked about this? I really should have gone back and looked at our previous episodes because I feel like I remember Brian bringing up bigger Luke theory. He did. He did bring on – so we oh. talked about Star Wars oh. plot holes. I've got two of the and, greatest and Brian brought uh, fan up theories the of all time. Luke simultaneously with yeah, I've got two of the greatest. Okay. Bigger Luke theory obviously is unrivaled. And then I've also got the Agent Smith as the one theory that uh, I fleshed out as well. Uh, the one that came upset. from that YouTube video that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, both of them original thoughts of mine. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm very upset that neither one of those were I was able to use because I've already burned through them. So I had to come up with something even more fan-fucking-credible. You know what? I feel like the the mis- Mr. Smith being the one theory would have been a the more interesting way for them to have gone in the matrix resurrection yeah i think that was the main plot point that would have been crazy that would have been so good i oh my god that movie was so disappointing to me i I disagree (laughs) we're not gonna get to it again but uh very disappointing um okay so we're talking about fan theories uh jeff you brought this up last week apparently we've never uh broached this subject but um yeah, so who wants to go first? Why, um, well, who wants to quickly explain what is a fan theory? Jeff? Yeah, a fan theory is when uh, a fan of established content, such as a TV show or a film, uh, takes moments or concepts or themes established within that story and decides to craft something else from it, something that was not necessarily intended or or could have been but wasn't necessarily addressed explicitly through that show or film and present it as what if this is also happening on the sidelines. Typically it has to align with all of the other details of the film and or show um, as as we'll discuss, but it's basically just fans trying to put together extra pieces of a puzzle uh, as an attempt to celebrate these things even more. Uh, Yeah. It's like a thought experiment really is what it comes down to. It's just something to do that, that helps you pass time um, while watching you know, one of your favorite texts from popular culture. Um, I'm actually going to start. I have this, I I found this theory um, that uh, I I, I bet this will be a surprise to you guys. I don't think you guys will have ever heard this. Um, The movie Inception is actually secretly about the art of making movies. Have you guys heard about this before? 
Well, last time you said it, you said it wasn't so secret. You said it was very, very obvious to anyone who's seen the film. I thought everyone who's seen the film. I thought that was your theory about Tenet. <laughs> what? I thought that was your theory about Tenet. No. Was that it was a discussion on? I feel, are you joking? Because I can't think of. Did we talk about Tenet? What was the thing we, about Tenet? Where I swear, Jeff, that was what, and we was, were arguing with him. No, it was. No. It was. Was an Inception? Inception? I'm just we were talking about Inception. our favorite films, and he's. Right, you guys so are I, arguing. I'm just getting crossed up. Go ahead. I really thought this was going to be a funnier thing for me to bring up, but <laughs> instead it just I confused feel like, Brian. I feel like we lightly discussed it, and it was totally bizarre, and we didn't agree with you. Yeah. No, I got real deep with it when we were talking about our favorite. He got films, emotional, and you guys made me upset. He cried a little that bit. It didn't make sense. Come he made time. it very clear that part of his identity had been wrapped around this concept. Yeah, it he, is. he edited out the sobs. I, I'm crying right now about it. I'm already upset. <laughs> this was a joke, and you guys have already reduced me to tears. Um, no, I, uh, I'm not gonna start. I'm gonna let Brian start. Um, what was the fan theory? Oh, you want mine or- to go first? I kind of feel like mine needs to get like everyone needs to warm up a little bit before they get into mine. I it, could start. Right. I could start with the lighthearted one. It's right, it's literally <laughs> the kind of revelation that like it's like unlocking your mind. Let's be honest. So we, we need really do need to it. get Jeff's bullshit out of the way because yeah. we know I, I, it's going to be start, ridiculous. I'll start with my my lighthearted. I heard this one recently. I, I I found it on Google too when I when I was looking it up. Apparently, it's it's a common one. Uh, the fan oh, theory, you're already out on Google too, huh? Not this, Google One. This one. Was the concept that the Flintstones and the Jetsons take place at the exact same time period? That Earth has been post-apocalyptic, which I'm sure is a term that we're going to hear very common in this in this podcast, uh, in this specific episode. But that the the rich people of Earth that were able to uh, escape the toxic and you know the the destruction of society built this concept called Orbit City. And they all live in glamour and, and technology and never visit the surface. And then the poor people who were forced to witness the destruction of society have tried to establish a society down at Bedrock City. Right. Yeah. And the 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 dinosaurs, is it also a sequel to Jurassic Park? Uh, no, it's just that dinosaurs have, you know, re-evolved and humans are forcing <laughs> them to... Uh, live out functions of the daily electronics that they are no longer capable of recreating. I'm going to be honest. I would be stoked to be down in bedrock city, but with the fashion of orbit city, you know what I mean? Cause I don't know if I could just wear fucking That's rags right. or whatever they're wearing. By the, by the <laughs> way, I, I think I saw something that said George Jetson was born in 2022 in that story. Does that blow your guys fucking minds or what? Anyway. Um, so what, what's your stuff that lends credence to this theory? Yeah, well, so you have all the all the characters of Bedrock who do things like we do in modern tele, like in modern life, like watch television or have you know a microwave or a toaster, and they've just yeah. retrofitted dinosaurs to be able to replace these modern electronics. Uh, mm-hmm. Have things like cars, um, and and the fact that the Jetsons never touch place on the surface implies that they could orbit above Earth, and uh, the shows are created by the same people. There's there's no real thing that discounts um their their coexistence so so you're saying it's been a long time since i've seen the jetsons but you're saying that their city it's never shown to being on earth it's called orbit city it all takes place in the sky yeah but do they never touch touch down on to a that planet in that show i'm gonna be cool. honest i didn't watch a lot of the hanna barbera stuff when we were growing up i don't did you guys do you what guys the hell is hanna barbera is that <laughs> it's miley cyrus it's the animation um, studio 
Yeah, it's the animation studio that oh, produced was, a lot of those Saturday Hannah, morning cartoons. Hannah Banana. Yep, that's correct. Hannah uh, Montana. Moving Hannah right Montana, along. Hannah Montana, I got it. I got. It took me a minute. But anyway, um, okay, so I guess for the sake of this, it sounds like Orbit City does not is not depicted as being on ground. And it makes sense to for the name. And so basically, if I'm getting my head around what you're saying, they live in the sky in this futuristic technology and the Flintstones live on Earth mimicking that technology but using living creatures because they don't have the, the exactly. actual tech. Exactly. Is there anything I mean, that ties seems those like things they're together? Getting along. Just... I mean, it's just, you know, the concept of this class structure that separates. You've got the billionaires that create a sky city and don't live out in, in turmoil and all of the poor people try to reestablish society similar to what they had from there. So that so the rich people continue to evolve and innovate and the poor people you know are just trying to cling to what they know is familiar. You know what's funny about this? It's just uh, what you're describing is that movie Elysium. Yep. <laughs> with Matt Damon 100% it's exactly Elysium <laughs> dude someone could totally create like literally one episode where suddenly you see George Jetson's fucking ship malfunction and he crash lands in bedrock and all of a sudden you know everyone's just like oh my god they've been living right above the Flintstones this entire time isn't and there an alien that comes from Hanna-Barbera that like is in the Flintstones at some point He's like a little green dude I'm pretty sure that's true Anyway, um, that would be, I mean, I like it. I know what you're talking about. The little guy with the nose, right? Yeah. Yep. The the guy with the nose. That's exactly how he's described. That's actually probably well, the character's cause, name. Because I'm picturing Marvin the Martian who does not have a nose. So once you kiss <laughs> no, my ass. He does not. Um, so yeah. This that's, is, go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say, that was just my lighthearted theory. Ah. I, I think it's a, a fun concept. I, I think it's something that could be plausible. I think it's something that, you know, the show creators probably yes. didn't intend, but it could could ha- it could it be true. And I think it would be yeah. very fun if they did confirm it. I do like it quite a lot. And I hope that Jabberjaw is also taking place at the exact same time down in the ocean. Wait uh, a minute. Brian, what do you got? What's his name? The Great Gazoo is his That's name. Right. He's a little green that. alien and he's in the Flintstones. But he's got futuristic alien technology. Hold on. I'm trying to right. see if he's... That's what I said he was in, right? You know uh, what I'm thinking this yeah, whole time, maybe. though? I feel like they could really do a Jetsons, like, live-action sitcom. Like, they could reboot it as, like, a sitcom in nowadays, you know? Um, totally. And I think it would be very funny. Well, I mean, it has the potential to be very funny. I don't know that it would be. Not if the people who write How I Met Your Father are writing it. Am I, I actually, right, guys? Am I right, guys? Jeff, shut the fuck up if you're about to say it's good. Episode. I enjoyed the most recent episode. <laughs> um, I am not liking... Uh, if we're going to get back on How I Met Your Father, we're I'm not. really struggling to we're continue We're talking about fan it. theories. <laughs> okay. I have a fan theory that New Girl is uh, actually the How I Met Your Father that we deserved. <laughs> What's so, up, Brian? So the Great Kazoo... This is important for this theory, in my opinion. I disagree right off the bat. (laughs) Let's go. He's a tiny green floating alien that was exiled to Earth from his home planet of Zetox by the ruler for having created a a doomsday machine. So right off the bat, we have other civilizations in the Flintstone universe that are way ahead in technology. And Earth is just a place of prehistoric means, essentially. Um, hey, God, I wish that they would have Great Gazoo appear in in the Jetsons and just be the only thing that ties it together. But that's all we need, kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, it's like that that uh, that bridge that we were seeing in Marvel where they were having to cross over stuff. Then we like all you got to see is that one guy, and you just go, "Oh my God, it's all the same world now! Like it's all the same <laughs> universe with one character. Like that's yeah. all it takes sometimes." And this would be the perfect character to do that. 
Um, yeah, that's true. Um, all right, cool. Well, what what are we where are we moving on to next? What, Brian, are you? Do you think we're ready? Is that enough of a palette? Yeah, sure, warmer, sure. Or? We'll get into the best one of the night. Uh, we can do that. Um, so, guys, I I hate to ruin childhoods, but Rubius Hagrid is a Death Eater. And I got to tell you something, I went into this theory skeptical as all hell, and I came out pretty firmly a believer. Right, do we... <laughs> I'm locked in, dude. Rubius, you son of a bitch. Do we have details? Um, absolutely. I've got so many details, we don't have time for them all. But I, I took notes on it, and I also have the Reddit theory that I originally found this from uh, that has more in case you know I need something to back me up because I don't have it all jotted down. But I'm sold. In a nutshell, yeah, in a nutshell, yeah, you're like, that son of a bitch. (laughs) You conniving giant son of a bitch. But anyway, um, so there are a plethora of moments throughout the books where Hagrid shows a bizarre, like bizarre coincidences, bizarrely convenient, like failures in his character or his actions that all benefit the Dark Lord, Voldemort. Um... And there's things about him that are very inexplicable and inconsistent with what we know about him and the greater universe. I'll give you a, a very good taster example, and then we'll get right into it. In the very first scene that we meet him, Hagrid comes to the, uh, or excuse me, the Dursleys escape to an island to get away from all the mail that Dumbledore's been bombarding them to try to get Harry his invite to Hogwarts. Are we all on the same page so far? Yes. Yes. Okay. They're in a little shack out in the ocean no connection to anything and Hagrid appears kicks down the door has an unpleasant interaction with them and then gives Dudley uh, a magical like hits him with a spell that causes him to grow a pig's tail and then you know over the rest of the interaction he gets Harry and he leaves that moment is very notable because we know a couple things about Hagrid that we find out later one he was expelled from Hogwarts in his third year. Two, when they did that, they snapped his wand, which is no longer a reliable functioning wand. And uh, that's two. And there's no third. Sorry, I'm getting carried away here. But anyway, what we do find out about Transfiguration is there's a scene, and I think it's their either fourth or fifth year. It's where, fourth. Hear me out here. Where the students are in a Transfiguration lesson, and they're trying to change the color of eyebrows as, as the lesson. And I think it's their fifth year, and they're all struggling mightily to do so, which tells you that even more advanced transfiguration takes even more study and practice, which Hagrid would not have gotten as a student because he was expelled as a third year well before then. And he should not be able to do it anyway because he has a broken wand, right? And yet he transfigures Dudley's backside to get a tail that had to be surgically removed later. And he does not say a spell. He does it with silent magic, which is also advanced magical casting. All of that lends credence to Hagrid having magical training beyond what is understood to be his education level and magical powers, right? Okay, so that should lend a little bit of like, huh, that's kind of bizarre. Now let's get into the really weird shit. In uh, In the books... There are uh, several established forms of fast travel. Okay. Known fast travel methods include broomsticks, 
Thestrals, the Flu Network, Port Keys, Operating, and Hagrid's Motorcycle. Okay? As, as a general understanding, in the wizarding world, aided flight is kind of the way to do things, right? Those, those different methods I just named. Now, we do see two people throughout the books that do unaided flight. And that's Voldemort and Snape. What we're led to believe, I don't think they say it explicitly, but what we're led to believe is that Voldemort has created unaided flight. He's like the inventor of it. Because when Snape does it in front of like the Hogwarts Great Hall and like the little, like the sacking of Severus Snape chapter towards the end of the story, McGonagall makes, makes a comment to the effect of, looks like Voldemort's been teaching his, you know, his sidekick some tricks. So what we can assume is that Voldemort created the mat, the flying unaided flight and then taught it to Snape. Now here's where it gets interesting. It appears as though on closer inspection, there are multiple instances where unaided flight is the only explainable reason for how Hagrid accomplished something. Case in point, <laughs> literally um, dude, uh, this is so much deeper than I was expecting this to go. Yeah. That's, <laughs> this is a big deal. This is, this is, it's kind of hurting me yeah, to say we're this. We're blowing the lid previous... off things. Let's, let's keep going. Fuck Go you, ahead. buddy. You know what I mean? So anyway, here we go. So unaided flight is important to establish that those details. The reason being, think about that incident out in the ocean. Hagrid appears outside of the cabin and kicks down the door in order to enter. So we can already rule out the flu network. Okay. Port keys are something that we can also rule out because those are like from what I understand, take longer to establish. It's not something that you can just randomly port key wherever the hell you want to go. It's like a established path of travel. So if he Wait, was doing... Why can't the flu network work? Because you There's have no to chimney. do it to a chimney and he appeared outside on the island and kicked the door down to come in. He didn't appear in their chimney. Right. Okay. And then Hagrid, later in the books, is also quoted as saying that he is too heavy to ride on broomsticks or thestrals. And we know he didn't have his motorcycle. And we know he didn't have his motorcycle because when he and Harry are leaving the shack to, to return to the mainland together, Harry says, how did you get here? And he says, I flew. Now, he didn't leave a broom behind. So it, it, this is definitely not that J.K. Rowling hadn't really written down all of her notes yet. It's definitely <laughs> not that, right? <laughs> so there's more, though. This is just a really interesting one. He didn't leave a broom behind. He didn't leave his motorcycle behind. Harry didn't see any Thestrals. How did they get off the island? Horses Can anywhere. you remind me how they got off the island? They took the boat back. They took the Dursley's boat. They're like, we'll just take the, this. He says, I flew, but we'll take the boat back. Like, this will do for now. <laughs> so how did he get to the island if he did not fly unaided? Which is <laughs> established to be only Voldemort and Snape. So hold huh. on. Even interesting. more interesting. Okay. The Potters are uh, hiding from Voldemort like in the past, right? They're trying to stay out of sight. Voldemort's coming to try to kill the baby. The Potters establish a secret keeper and go into hiding for some reason in their own house, but a great hiding spot there, guys. But uh, they trust Peter Pettigrew. Okay, so he's the only one that knows they're there. Even Dumbledore did not know. He was not the secret keeper. Sirius wasn't the secret keeper in none of them, right? Basically, Voldemort shows up curse rebounds off baby Harry Voldemort's soul leaves his body and he flees to Albania the house is in ruins the potters are dead and there's just a baby on the ground the first person we know that arrived on the scene was Snape we see that in the movies we hear it in his story later in the books he arrives is distraught over Lily 
and then ends up fleeing the scene. He, we, we know that he's established to have already flipped and is a good guy. So, you know, get him out of there. He's, he's not relevant for these next two points. The next two people that we know arrive before the ministry arrives on scene are Hagrid and Sirius Black. Hagrid shows up and he makes a comment saying, I barely got out of there before the muggles in the ministry arrived. Okay. The only other person that came was Sirius Black. The reason why we know that is because Hagrid mentions that Sirius gave him his motorcycle. That was Sirius's motorcycle that was gifted to Hagrid in that moment. Hagrid takes baby Harry. Sirius, finding out what happened, immediately embarks on a chase of Peter Pettigrew. Okay. The question, the first question in this part is, how did Hagrid get there so quickly? He didn't own the motorcycle at the time. The flu network ain't working. The house is in ruins. Port Key again. How did not he know to even show up? How did he even know to get there? Dumbledore was not the secret keeper. So how did Hagrid get there so quickly if he was unable to fly? Like, it had to be the unaided flight option. Right. Okay. Here's something even crazier because that's weird as fuck. How did Voldemort's wand stay intact for 13 or 14 years until he was resurrected? Because, like, whoever took the wand from the ruins of the Potter House must have kept it preserved for that time. Because we know that the Ministry will snap the wands of people that they don't want actively participating in the wizarding community any longer. Like Hagrid's own wand, right? So check this out. Uh, Voldemort blasts baby Harry, turns into a spirit and leaves. Snape shows up. He's a good guy. We know that now, which means he just left. He left everything that was in the ruins and bailed after he saw that Lily was died uh, was dead. The only other two people that got there before the Ministry would have got there and confiscated the wand were Sirius and Hagrid. Sirius, we know, went straight after Peter Pettigrew, got into an incident with them, and then was immediately arrested by the Ministry. So the wand would have ended up in the Ministry's hands anyway. The only other person that could have taken Voldemort's wand from the ruins was Hagrid which means he literally preserved his wand for 13 or 14 years and then somehow got it back to him. Now I'll tell you what that somehow was. He was also aiding Mad-Eye Moody or Barty Crouch in getting Harry through the Triwizard Tournament in book four. He literally was teaching him about blasting its groots that were in the maze. He literally showed him the dragon for the first task. Like he was literally giving him competitive advantages in every Someone challenge. Someone had to keep the basilisk alive in book two. There's there's a lot that goes Dude. into it. I'm, I'm so with you. so here's the thing: Hagrid and Voldemort were students. Schoolmates. Together. Yep. Were students together, and are shown to be on like some sort of familiar term. They they are they're familiar. Term. Basically, Hagrid because ends up being well blamed. when yeah when Hagrid's blamed because of Aragog. Voldemort comes to him and goes, Hagrid, like we have to tell them, which means that Hagrid has told Voldemort his secret uh, creature, right? I mean, or he gets caught with it. But basically the concept here is in this theory is that Hagrid gets radicalized by Tom Riddle, who's known to be in a wildly persuasive, powerful person. He gets radicalized by him. And the plan is not only to use Hagrid to be the fall guy in the whole original Chamber of Secrets fiasco with Tom Riddle as a student. Uh, It helps get the heat off of Tom Riddle. So he's just being a good servant. And it also is this the incident that endears him to Dumbledore. It's the reason why Dumbledore loves Hagrid so much and like keeps him around as the gamekeeper is because he sees him as this major victim of this great evil. Maybe that's just Voldemort's mastermind. So in like this double whammy value of, of him being the fall guy. So I, I love this theory. I'm, I'm enthralled by it. But there are some questions like why doesn't Hagrid ever assist in the destruction of Harry? 
Well, he does. He just does it very, uh, like, sub- for subvert, like, what would I say? Or, like, sneakily, like uh, Barty Crouch does. Subtly. So, so the Triwizard Tournament's a great example. Check this out. Book one, Harry gets detention, right? Like, the, the trio does. Where does Hagrid take him? Forbidden Forest. Into the Forbidden Forest. And not only that, but then he sends two 11-year-old children, Harry being one of them, down a path that immediately walks them straight into Voldemort. <laughs> That's... That's, um, That's damning, dude. <laughs> I'm sold. I, like, I have no... <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on a second. How did Quirrell know how to get through all the challenges to get to this, the Sorcerer's Stone? Hagrid let Hagrid. it slip to him yeah. in the fucking Three Broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> Guess where he's also who he's also seen with later in the Three Broomsticks? Barty Crouch as Mad-Eye Moody. He sees, he's seen in book four whispering to him drunkenly in a corner of this the is three like, sticks. What I love about this is this is like the Darth Jar Jar fan theory and it just like, even makes, yeah. it makes way more sense. Yeah. I, I love this. Dude, It I was reading it was like, oh my God, I'm uncomfortable right now because literally Barty Crouch is known to like keep everyone at arm's distance as Mad-Eye Moody and right, everyone takes it as Moody is paranoid. But really it's that Barty Crouch didn't want his cover blown so he couldn't let right. anyone get too close. And yet he's drunkenly conniving with uh, Hagrid in a corner and guess what happens right after their interaction that Harry sees him in Three Broomsticks? Hagrid walks over to Harry and says, meet me after midnight. I got something to show you. And then walks him straight over to the dragons to give him a competitive advantage in task number one. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, hold on. Check this out. There's other weird little uh, factoids. Wow. Uh, Harry uses the flu network, accidentally flu networks into Borgen and Burke's shop somehow. And he's sitting in a cabinet hiding, seeing some like nefarious interactions in Borgen and Burke's shop. That's in the like little shady dark wizard back alley next yep, to Diagon yep. Alley that you're not supposed to go to. He goes running out of the shop at the first opportunity he gets. Guess who he runs into in that dark alley? Hagrid. He runs right into Hagrid. <laughs> and when he says, what are you doing here, Hagrid? He says, oh, I was getting some uh, fertilizer for my cabbages, which is a totally mundane task that could have been accomplished in Diagon Alley. Right. Like, wh- <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Like, that's the most bizarre thing ever. What are you doing back there, man? And, like, in this dark alley where it's known to only be, like, the haunt of dark witches and wizards. I love that there's two explanations for this theory. That either, A, J.K. Rowling is the single greatest writer of our time. Or, B, that she is the single worst writer of our time. Yeah, so I guess she has come out and said, just just to be bring it back to reality here. I guess she's come out and said, because this uh, theory caught some popularity a few years back. Um She's refuted it by saying, uh, like explaining away that uh, Voldemort's wand was picked up by Peter Pettigrew somehow. You know, maybe it's that Sirius took it from the ruins and then was holding on to it and Peter took it from him somehow. That seems like a very bizarre theory to me or like a very bizarre explanation. But I think it was her just trying to cover up what are legitimately just some oversights. Right. Massive. But my God, consistent. like the way that like you can tie it all together, like literally everything. Book he after does. book, there's not a single. I mean, how about this? Peter Pettigrew took the wand, he keistered it, and then <laughs> turned into a rat. Wouldn't the wand also shrink with him? Or I mean, I'm assuming. I mean, he's wearing clothes keister, when he I mean, unruts yeah. otherwise, himself. Otherwise, he, he just fucking impaled himself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's uh, I, I like that one. That one let, I, I've never heard that before, and I love it. I know I've taken up a lot of airtime here, but let me give you one more thing that's fast, fascinating, and it's small. In one of his first conversations, so let me back up. Horcruxes are like the power behind Voldemort's whole empire, right? 
there it's a very powerful very secretive type of magic known only to a few people in the books using a horcrux you can obviously hide away a part of your soul in another object losing part of your humanity in order to stave off death most people don't right. know about it it's hidden knowledge in one of his first conversations with harry hagrid says that voldemort did not actually die he comments something like some say he died, Codswallop in my opinion, don't know if he had enough human left in him to die. Most of us reckon he's still out there somewhere but lost his powers, too weak to carry on. But despite what he says, the whole most of us reckon he's still out there somewhere, that is a, a complete, like believing in Voldemort's survival is a complete aberration to the attitude we see from the rest of the wizarding community throughout the stories. They all think he's dead. So Hagrid's comment turns out to not only be like inaccurate in that sense, but also very specific and very accurate regarding Voldemort's reality. Um, like he literally details what happens to a soul after, you know, you, you like have a Horcrux and then kill yourself. The only people, other people that we know are aware of Horcrux magic were Dumbledore and Slughorn. So it's really meaningful that Hagrid makes a specific reference to their function right. and effect on the user. What, I mean, so, th but I guess the one downside to all this is you see Hagrid's treatment at the hand of the Dark Lord once the Dark Lord conquers... I mean, I'm assuming I'm going off of film True. knowledge here. You do see yep. Hagrid in chains same carrying thing, Harry Potter's corpse. Yeah, he's all um, upset and distraught, and then Harry comes back. Yeah, but it is notable that they don't kill him. He's not yeah. a pureblood. He's not a pureblood, and they leave him alive. So maybe he was just a servant that 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 part does it does kind of fly in the face. Like otherwise, everything's like what the fuck. That part is like all right. It seems like he's a good guy because. Right. Dumbledore I mean, wasn't in power anymore. Voldemort if, was clearly had the upper hand and still If Voldemort did turn him. on Hagrid, it's not like Hagrid was going to turn around and say, hey, I've been a Death Eater this whole time. Um, so maybe he just got betrayed, just like Severus. Yeah, um, I think I think it's more like this theory is is incredible for you know what it's worth, but in reality, it's obvious that she did not intend for it to be right. this way, but it, it's so watertight to me that it's mind-blowing <laughs> like i i haven't thought of anything in mind like i've read those books like eight times I, I haven't thought of anything right now that flies in the face of this this whole that's thing that's funny i i love that theory tell you any thoughts i mean i yeah it's hard to pick it apart uh, but it's also like presented to me for the first time just now with a lot of evidence and i'd have to like really <laughs> take some time to really think about why you know it's it's a very well thought out theory and like you said it's been around for a while so the craziest um, thing is i only talked about stuff from like the first four books or first four net books like there's stuff through all seven like i didn't even get through the full read because i didn't have enough time it's just super in depth yeah it is it's very interesting that's for sure it definitely is interesting um okay cool well let's move on uh, Jeff, did you have another one or did you want me to go with mine? I, I do have more, but I would love to hear yours. All right. So mine is a well-trodden one, but I wanted us to talk about it. Um, this theory is that all Disney movies and well, I'm going to say all Disney movies take place in a, in like a shared universe, uh, along a, a long enough timeline. Um, and as well, um, that Pixar movies, um, are all in the same universe along their own timeline. Not that they all cross paths, but like all Pixar movies. Um, now this is based on the fact that in every single Pixar movie and in every single Disney movie, well, I'm just going to say Pixar from, from now on, cause that's where most of my touch points come from. But in every single Pixar movie, there's a reference to another Pixar movie or multiple Pixar movies. Um, 
whether it's uh, just like a character appearing on a poster in the background or someone reading a magazine in in Finding Nemo that has like Mr. Incredible all over it, like Mr. Incredible is just all over the magazine. Uh-huh. Um, there's just there's just little hints that there are that something that is going on in all of these movies that kind of ties them together into some sort of shared universe. And I know that we have all heard this theory before, so I kind of just wanted us to to talk about the ones that we've recognized and our thoughts on it. Although Jeff did come up with a pretty funny one that I had never heard before earlier uh, before we started recording. So we're, we're going to have to touch base on that one again. Um, now, the first time I remember seeing it, I think is in Disney movies, but I'm going to, again, focus on um, some of these uh, <laughs> Pixar movies. Sorry. Um, I was thinking of uh, in Tarzan, but now I've lost my example. <laughs> it's not, it just fell out of my head just now. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you go. You go. You're better at this than I am, apparently. Sure. I mean, I my the one that I prepared was the Pixar theory. I assumed you were going to talk about the Disney one. Um, but well, you go. Okay. Wait, your second one was the Pixar movie. Well, I figured we were going to talk about the Pixar theory. Oh yeah, let's just talk about the Pixar one. Okay. Well, so there's actually a website for people who are interested that is called pixartheory.com in which <laughs> they have all of the films up to Brave, which was released in 2013, and they show you how each of the films is connected. So I'll, I'll just go over very briefly the, the touch points of each one. Um, it involves uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 16 different movies uh, and how they all come into play so it basically the, in this concept of this theory brave takes place in the 14th or 15th century a young girl finds uh, a magical power called the will of the wisps that allows that empowers a witch to be able to inanimate objects and transform people into animals um, and that and that magical witch is able to transport through doors um, in the 1960s we see superheroes we obviously know in our in our modern world there are no superheroes so this theory deposits that um this will of the wisp power eventually led to the creation of super power, super powered people in the 1960s. And uh, also we see a massive surge in technological advancement from where we, where we were in the 1960s with people having very advanced robots and uh, zero gravity technology. Um, and the concept from here is that uh, toy technology is also advanced to a certain extent. Then you move to Toy Story, in which toys are now starting to become sentient. Uh, <laughs> and then carrying through with Toy Story 2, uh, you start to see the toys becoming resentment towards the owners. I think most of that plot point is carried through Jesse's character in Toy Story 2. Um, yeah, for sure. The next character, the next film in this No, theory, it's not Jesse. It's the prospector. He's the one that like hates kids now, for sure. Or like just humans in general, really. He's like, no, I just want to live behind glass and just be idolized. Um, the, but next, yeah. the next theory we see is they bring in Finding Nemo, which is this advanced uh, humanoid type way of existing under life. Uh, you see Ratatouille with all of the at- rants, rats cooking and being, again, humanoid. You see Toy Story 3 where the humans are starting to develop their own society. Uh, Toys are, yeah. Right. Uh, and then the, the film fast forwards to the concept of Up in which in the film you see dogs that have been mastered using technology. You see these, you know, weird things going on. And then the story fast forwards a hundred years 
and says, in the distant future, animals rose up against humans to stop pollutions. Machines saved the human race and won the war. And uh, machines ended up taking over. And that's where we get the universe of cars. Uh, with taking over where humans left off in society and becoming this sentient race, eliminating all humans, <laughs> you get cars too, um, in which we get more further confirmation confirmation that that cars have taken over entirety of the world uh then it fast forwards to wally where they supposit that humans did not get killed by the cars they simply left because humanity was the earth was no longer inhabitable by humans it was only inhabitable by cars um and then you get the resurgence of life at the end of wally with of organic based life forms being able to exist again the next film would be a bug's life in which uh insects start to come back and reclaim the their their existence on earth and then finally you get Monsters, Inc., in which you get uh, monsters have taken over the society of the world and uh, left over. And then finally tying the loop all back in circle, you get Monsters, Inc., where two monsters living in this extremely advanced society accidentally steal a little girl and introduce her to a magical system of doors that allow her to uh, go from location to location, very similar to the kind of magic that we see the witch use in Brave. Supposing that, uh, supposing that the witch in Brave is Boo from Monsters, Inc., who's able to master this ancient form of magic, travel back in time, and start the theory back over again. Well, the idea is that the, I think, from what I remember, that the 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 doors are act, they're not dimensional doors they're time doors right so they're actually like moving us back in time to moving them back in time to around our generation and then that's when boo is there and then she essentially would open a door harnessing the magic and then get trapped in like the 14th or 15th century correct they believe right? that the, the doors are time traveling technology yes yeah there you go so anyway this is a fun theory <laughs> I'm really struggling this episode, guys. I'm really tired. I've been working on this house project now for like eight weeks. I'm losing my mind. Let, well, let me lead off. <laughs> let me lead off the questions then for you. Yeah. What, hit me. what flies in the face of this theory? I mean, like, is there absolutely stuff that you're aware nothing? Of, it's of? watertight. It's absolutely perfect. Actually, a guy wrote a book about it. Is that true? I mean, is it <laughs> actually? Is. Pretty squeaky. That is true. It's, it's not. I wouldn't say it's completely watertight, but there is there no, is books the published up. on it. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't. There's see actual any literature on this. Yes, it's called the Pixar theory. Someone wrote a book. He about wrote it. a book, like a book book. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cool, man. It's it's like whatever. It's, it's a no good book. Deal. I mean, I I think it's inevitable when you get. <laughs> it's these a good book. Lines. You read it? No, I'm saying I think that 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 this kind of concept is inevitable when you have massive design studios like Disney, because there's a lot of theories about characters that I heard a theory the other day that Mother Gospel from Tangled. Have you guys seen Tangled? Yes. yes. Is is Meg from Hercules? Mm. I heard this theory. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? A lot of Disney's properties start to feel like they they blend together. I mean, like like all the Marvel movies. Like they all they they seem like they all take place. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't do it. I was gonna say they all seem like they take place in a shared universe. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't play dumb. So, oh, so, Meg, so, so the theory that supports <laughs> the, the concept of this isn't one of my this isn't one of my suggestions, by the way. I'm just telling you that like Disney ha- suffers from the same concept where people have supposed that um, you take 
Meg, you know, the story of Hercules is this golden being falls from the sky and uh, has, you know, a, a form of, of power. So in this fan theory of Meg has been cast out of Olympus because she is human um, and she witnesses this drop of gold fall from the sky, land on Earth. She finds a flower that happens to be imbued with the power of Olympus. She knows exactly what to do with that flower in order to maintain immortal life. Um, and... Uh, she knows exactly how to bring the power out of the flower, even though it's just a flower, right? She, like, it's it's uncanny that she has this internal knowledge. Um, where, where would she get that knowledge? She didn't even live on Olympus. It's not even a part of the original story. She did live on Olympus. At the end, she goes to our... Well, she no, he she chooses to go on Earth with Hercules. Sure. So she's familiar with how the gods work. With no, no, immortal no. botany? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, when did she learn how to take care of flowers? She learned from Hercules. I have no idea. Um but that's Where does that guy fucking learn how to do it? He's a fucking human. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's a fun theory. Like all of these are, are fun concepts that characters will jump. Uh, that there's a lot of interplay between them. Or like the concept, and this one actually got addressed by the creators. That uh, the ship crash from the beginning of Frozen, uh, it also happens Tarzan, to be the, right? the, the the introduction to Tarzan. Uh, is that the this, one that you were dropping, Tyler? There, there's like the the ship ship thing. I've heard that one before. That's right. Yeah. So they're on their way back from Tangle or from the the, the wedding. wedding. Yeah. That's right. And then the other the the parents from sorry Frozen. Frozen. They're also seen in the background of it, right? So oh. no, we that? see we see the guys from Little Mermaid. I think. No, you see you see the characters of Tangled at the coronation of Elsa. That's right. Yeah, the characters from Tangled are are there too. So that that tells you that Tarzan's parents are probably at Tangled's wedding, and then Tangled bleeds into Frozen. So the, at least those three are connected. And then the shipwreck from The Little Mermaid is Tarzan's parents' shipwreck, right? That's the idea. Did you? Yeah. I'm sorry. Is That's this what you were saying? And and, and the creator of the Frozen thing. has addressed that he loves this theory and wants to make it canon. Of course, right. they had. To, it's not canon because if you see. Uh, the second this film, is but. this is what I was trying to reference, but I like my brain fully stopped working on me. It was just like, actually, you don't need to think about this in the middle of recording this podcast that's going to go out. To, yeah, I, I think that internet. one's great because we also find out about Tarzan from like his original book that he was royalty in London. Yeah. Um. So it would make a lot of sense that his parents not, would be at that wedding. Not royalty, but wealthy, or nobility. Sure. Sorry, nobility. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that's fantastic, and I know that there's that moment where you can hit pause at the wedding and see those characters from the other movie. So yeah. it'd be really fun if they somehow had slipped in Tarzan's parents too, who we don't get God. as much of an exposure to. But can we quickly just say uh, how Phil Collins crushed that soundtrack in Tarzan? Oh, it's the best Disney soundtrack it, ever. Well, Hercules is pretty high up. There, yeah, Hercules but, is great. Uh, Phil Collins is next level. I've said it before. Phil Collins is, dude, that album, I still listen to it. It's a banger, <laughs> dude. It's on Spotify. It's so good. I, I fucking love it. <laughs> I think that Phil Collins, a lot of people like to say that it's underrated. I think that it's rated perfectly because he won a fucking Grammy for it. But Yeah, um, it's a banger. I, yeah, I but agree people that it's don't good. talk about it enough. <laughs> I agree that it's good. I don't think it's the best start. I've always maintained, or at least I've maintained for the last several years, that Jungle Book that album comes off as like a live jazz studio album. That that yeah, that's why it's trash and it's should be burned. fantastic. It <laughs> is what? A I think fantastic. it's really good too. I'm just kidding. It is. It's obviously the King amazing. Louis song is awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's got really cool all of them too. are super good. Yeah, yeah every even, single it is a great album. But 
it, I'm sorry, dude. It pales in comparison to the great man Phil Collins. I'm sorry. <laughs> Phil Collins is its certified banger territory. I'd say Jungle yeah, Book man. is a Everything damn close Everything he second. produces is just hot fire. His albums, his drum solos, his daughter, I can feel it. All, all of it. They're all. He's just. He cannot oh, miss. So he good. cannot miss. His voice is so <laughs> echoey and just smooth. And just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his, his voice is echoey i'd love to just have a conversation with him and it is just it's an echo yeah. on his Ooh, end but not Phil. on mine so, <laughs> so this is exactly how i imagined it phil <laughs> so there's there's two theories and, and this one i want to get into first it's disney disney adjacent have you guys seen the movie frozen yeah yes. of course um, and I've seen Frozen too. I, I do love this theory a Electric lot. Electric Boogaloo. My biggest issue with Frozen <laughs> was how Hans's character changes so abruptly. He yeah, goes he is from the best. he goes from what? wanting to manipulate Elsa for the throne to when Elsa is dying, he just like chooses not to try and kiss her to see if he's true love for his kiss, and then he immediately goes off to murder Elsa. Like it's like. 180 percent it's 180 degree turn from where his character was going and i understand that if you want to be the bad guy in the end he has to be the bad guy in the end but like there is no real indicator that he was always evil um, yeah well, it's a very so, violent uh reverse so, of character so what does it lead to the theory is that the trolls in frozen are the actual villains mm. because what we see from the trolls is they have a young human that they are living with. And the one song that they get in their film is about trying to convince the woman that they have in front of them that their son is an eligible bachelor. And in the song, the couple reveals that Anna is actually engaged to someone. And the trolls are like, don't worry, we'll take care of that fiance. Um, now, we know from the beginning of the film that the trolls have the ability to alter minds. They alter, they erase Anna's memories to... Jeff, I'm going to stop you right there. This is watertight. We can just move on. There's I love no... this fucking theory, dude. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I fucking love this theory. So, just... so what we see is it's... the trolls help... This is good so far. They, go they, the trolls help Anna. They're like, yep, go on, go save your sister. And then the next time that we see Hans, he is a completely different person. He tries to kill Elsa, which is something he wasn't going to do beforehand. And then... He refuses to kiss Anna when Anna needs, you know, a true love's kiss to save her. And then he tries to murder Anna again by marching out of the sword. He becomes a completely different character in the second half of that film. And there's one peak event that happens before that, which is the introduction of the troll characters. Um, yeah. yeah. Like there's a literally one of the lines that they sing is them singing, we'll get the fiance out of the way. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. I really like that, actually. Also... Um, it, the, the real answer there is that that movie was rewritten while they were in the middle of recording the voices and drawing it. Um, initially in the ice queen, I think is what it's called, uh, by Hans Christian Anderson, Elsa's character is the bad guy. And about halfway through it, they wrote the song, let it go. And we're like, damn, this song is way too good to give to the villain. Like, what if we made this about, oh, I'm sorry, did I say through recording? I meant through writing um, the story, but basically they were like, what if we made them like, what if we, this was about sisters instead of about like true love's kiss or something like that this time? Like, what if it was like about family and they just changed the direction halfway through writing and it's kind of clear 
because at the beginning Elsa is the bad guy of this movie you know what I mean this is like a villain origin story and she is saved from her darkness right like that's the idea is they pull her back from the darkness well at the end you you need to have a bad guy it's still a Disney movie yeah my cat is walking in front of our our Zoom meeting right now just shoving her butt in there um so um yeah I mean I, I get why that is such an abrupt change but yeah i remember watching it in when it first came out and people were talking about it i was like okay what's up with this movie at the end i was like wow really did not see that coming like <laughs> really that's quite a twist there right at least um, not in that way like i think they could have handled it a lot better but the, the drastic change definitely leads credence to the concept that he has been altered through magic yeah, um, hopefully i hope so i i love this theory uh what else you guys got I like the fan theory that Elsa from Frozen. We're only doing Frozen fan theories now, right? We've we've gotten into the Frozen fan theory section. Um, Elsa is actually uh, never mind. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're just gonna move on. Brian, did you have a second one? Sorry, I have, that was gonna go in a direction that it did not need to go. So I just stopped it. Yeah, I have I have one more short one, Tyler. That you're probably gonna want to lock in on here. We know about your short one. Let's talk about the fan theories. Oh, low. <laughs> my my theory is that you're a fucking prick. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right, let's pull it up here. Uh, my theory is that the Joker is the hero in the Dark Knight. I'm just gonna let that sink in. All right, well, let's get need, into it. I'm gonna need further discussion. Yeah. for this. Okay, so the Joker is the hero of the Dark Knight. Although he's a lying psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a hero. (laughs) Needs to be recognized. Uh, Before the Joker, Gotham was a mess. Entire sections of the city were, you know, like closed off due to madness. Organized crime was running wild. The majority of uh, important city officials were corrupt. The city even tolerated, uh, tolerated a renegade vigilante who ran around wearing a rubber suit. Okay, or special armor, carbon fiber, whatever. Along comes the Joker, and by the end of a very short time, almost all organized crime was eliminated. Many corrupt officials were imprisoned or dead, and the city's vigilante even went into hiding for eight years. And this was all part of the Joker's masterfully, masterfully executed plan. Uh, Any questions so far? Good. Hold them to the end. No, keep Um, moving. You got to realize that the Joker, despite his claim otherwise, really was the man with the plan throughout the entire film. The very first thing we see the Joker do is rob a mafia-controlled bank, eliminating the entire team of expert bank robbers who helped him pull it off. Of course, the robbery wasn't about the money. It was about luring Lau out of hiding, preferably with all major crime families' collective money. This works beautifully. And as Joker predicts, Batman goes to Hong Kong to extradite Lau. Now Lau is in a safe place which Joker can, amazingly, access with ease. This, of course, is all just the plot of the film, but Joker is playing it amazingly, murdering key criminals and corrupt officials that could help insulate those at the top. Dent actually argues for insulating the men at the top in the interest of cleaning the streets of lower-level goons, but Joker knows that that won't work in the long term. Are you guys interested so far? Uh-huh. Yes. At this point, we honestly just have three men battling for Gotham's quote-unquote soul. But Dent and Wayne are simply playing into the Joker's great plan. This even extends to Joker's threat to destroy a hospital. With Batman and Gordon's help, Joker helps them root out corrupt police officials. 
Dent even kills some of those officers, those uh, officials later in the film. Right. Gordon's promotion, caused by the Joker essentially, uh, indirectly, did a major surface to, a service to Gotham. I, I think a lot of people take the Joker's clapping during Gordon's promotion scene to be sarcastic. Uh, but actually... The Joker believed in Gordon, one of the few officers on the force who is truly incorruptible. By the way, I'm, I'm reading this and kind of paraphrasing. This is someone else's thought, not mine. So when I say I, this is the original writer who uh, I got to give credit to. Reddit user uh, General Z. Um, it's an old one, so it's been a while. But anyway. So now Joker has a pretty clear path to getting rid of the organized crime problem and the corrupt officials problem. But the vigilante problem remains. As we saw at the beginning of the film, Batman was inspiring other vigilantes, and society cannot stand when each man takes his own justice. The symbol of fear and unbridled vengeance, as Joker sees it, needs to be stopped, but not killed. If he were killed, he would just be a martyr, and his symbol would live on. Of course, since Dent was a far better symbol for the city, he would make a far better martyr. We with me so far? Yes. I mean, I am, yeah. Cool. Uh, you guys liking it so far? There's more. Yeah, I do have I two mean, questions, but I'll wait to the end. Okay. Okay. I don't know if Joker actually intended for Harvey to be so physically scarred by the explosion from which Batman saved him. That was clearly incidental because he like knocked his own chair over on his own movements. But certainly he wanted Harvey to feel the full pain of Rachel's death, which is why he purposefully led Batman to go to the wrong address. He knows what Rachel's death would do to Harvey psychologically and that Batman would eventually have no choice but to kill Harvey. This breaks Batman psychologically, and also makes him a villain, a true villain, the kind that abandons his own principles. Batman now has no choice but to disappear, leaving his memory to fade into something of urban legend by the time of the next movie. When we pick up in the next film, we see a defeated Bruce Wayne who had retired eight years prior. The city was safe and peaceful, until Bane shows up, obviously, which was uh, you know outside of the plan, but... Uh, it also doesn't need constant vigilante justice to keep it safe. He shows Batman the error of his ways, but does so in a totally devastating way. Even the display with the two boats at the film's climax only served to prove to the people of Gotham that they wouldn't turn on each other. He proved that there was good even the most, even in the most supposedly despicable of Gotham's inmates. So in the end... Like in summary here, Gotham is actually clean, and it wasn't because of Harvey, who died too soon to do any good, except as a martyr, and it wasn't because of Batman, who was ostracized and treated like the criminal and such a vigilante truly is for eight years. Gotham was safe because the Joker had cleaned up the streets. He eliminated the corrupt police, he destroyed organized crime financially, he uplifted Gotham's spirit, and he even got rid of the flying pest that had been corrupting Gotham ever since he declared himself its protector. If I had a mic to drop, I would do it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. There's always, it's always easy to, in these, in those kinds of movies, it's always easy to kind of like turn one person into the hero or like except, be like, oh, this was his plan all along to do all of these things. The, Sorry, the, the fairies, how do the fairies fit into it? Uh, basically, he proved that even the most like evil uh, inmates have some good in them. Do you think that was his plan the whole time was to – for the inmates to – He's not saying I'm, I'm he saying thinks this. This is a fan I thought theory. it was an intriguing theory. I'm not saying I came up with this idea. I gave yeah. credit to General Z. I, I, I have to say I don't believe that his plan was to prove that the inmates were uh, 
good and that the people were bad. His mannerisms just... don't depict that, but that's part of the master plan. Is he's playing along like as he's playing the role of the criminal when really he's exposing the true good inherent sure. in the city. Yeah. One other question. How did he get those scars? Uh, so one of the explanations was that mobsters... <laughs> Okay, I, I didn't think there was going to be an actual explanation. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, that, that's that actually was a, that was actually that provided. Was a surprise. As, <laughs> that was actually provided as one of the motivating factors. Is that one of his stories? Is that like mobster guys cut his face up? And if you guys you guys have seen so, the one where it's it, the theory is that he's like a war veteran. Uh uh-uh. uh. Right, Jeff, have you nope. seen that one? Oh, uh, so like basically his like his understanding of weapons, his ability to procure weapons um his like tactical like intelligence and stuff like that um his disbelief in society his comment about like a platoon of soldiers dies and and everybody uh you know expects it to happen because part of the plan but you know when one police commissioner dies and everybody loses their mind that kind of thing sounds like the someone who's disillusioned because they went to war and yeah, and it's jaded because it's like, well, I watched all my friends die and I came back and, and I have nothing and I'm just like some homeless person. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. And potentially he was tortured as a prisoner of war and that's how he got his scars is, a is you know, an idea. Maybe. Um, so that's essentially yeah. the, the the theory there. Maybe. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones was that, you know, like I was saying. I like that one the personally. Mob, the mob caused his scars and that was his initial motivation. He kind of admits that his whole goal is to make Batman see that you can accomplish more by fighting fire with fire than with water. Uh, like a controlled burn stops the constant crime inferno, essentially. Right. Um, although he does have quotes like, this city deserves a better class of criminal and things that kind of like, you sure. know, more like the actual movie. I mean, that's, movie I could see that as but, a Punisher quote, to be honest. Like Punisher does has no disillusions that what he's doing isn't criminal, but he does believe that what he's doing is better that there's certain things that crime can only go so far. So I could easily see him thinking himself as some kind of Punisher-esque uh, anti-hero. Um, that quote doesn't diminish this at all. I love I it. I mean, yeah, Red Hood is basically a criminal. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Was is, is, for a is period not of time. legal. He doesn't care. Um, yeah, Batman's a better class of criminal, technically. Yeah. I mean, he's not doing anything legal. So anyway, yeah, I, I like that theory. Um, I Just as much, like, when I first heard the... the uh, the you know the joker is uh you know a, a veteran or whatever i was like yeah i've 100 like if they said that that if christopher nolan came out and was like yeah that was my inspiration for the character i'd be like yep yeah, cool we all know his inspiration is that weird meeting with uh tom waits on uh late night tv sorry that's uh heath ledger's inspiration but <laughs> yeah anyway um cool well we're at over we're about to be over time do we let's just move on to or jeff did you have a quick I, one I, and we're just gonna skip one more uh, what we're reading or what i had, I had one more and, and we'll do a quick summaries but this one is a theory for the wizard of oz uh essentially every single thing that happens in the wizard of oz is orchestrated perfectly by glinda the good witch that the tornado that drops the house on on the wicked witch of the west is um Essentially, Glinda the Good Witch summons a tornado to pick up a random house. The house serendipitously drops directly on top of one of the most powerful women in the entire nation. Um, the woman that comes outside of the house, Dorothy, is immediately praised as this orchestrator of the death of this evil person. And Glinda makes it very, very clear as soon as she shows up, just like Hagrid, insanely quick, she shows up. 
and immediately makes everyone clear that Dorothy needs to be rewarded for her role in, in killing the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, or it's the Wicked Witch of the East that gets dropped the tornado on her. Um, yeah, and then, so she tells Dorothy, you just killed the Wicked Witch of the East. You did a great job. Uh, Good job dropping your house on this bitch. I hated her. Then she immediately... She was my sister, but fuck her. She immediately summons the one artifact that is instantly covered by the other Wicked Witch of the West, gives it to the protagonist, but does not tell her that the Ruby Slippers can take her home, which is the only thing that the protagonist wants. (laughs) 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 And then sends her off on a uh, mission to go talk to the, the, uh, what's his name? Oz. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't, I don't hate it. I have, I have read this one before too. Um, did we have a conversation about Wizard of Oz one time where we talked about how everybody has to have a song set up for whenever a new person comes into town? Was that a, uh, was that a line of jokes that we, we did on this probably. podcast once before? I think we had a couple of jokes about them. For, for some reason, that popped into my head as like something to bring up. And I was like, I'm pretty sure maybe I've talked about that here. But man, let me just say, go find that episode where we said that because that shit is funny to me. Um Anyway, um, yeah, I do like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I like it, but it the, those, I just, I feel like it's, it's too, it's too much of a stretch whenever it's like, oh, this person planned all of this and this is how they planned all of it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this theory you, makes a lot of sense to me. The fact that the house did happen to drop sure, on top of the you can make witches. any of it make sense. That's how movies work. Like, it, everything has to have, like, a weird coincidence happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I don't dislike it, but I just, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. All right. Yeah, We're moving that, on. I think that's um, a good one. Brian, what have you been watching, reading, listening to? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to blow through these, I think, uh, since we're close on time. And I had uh, a crap load of movies watched yesterday. We just did a movie marathon yesterday. So with a uh, thriller horror theme. Um, cool. So the list was Vivarium, which you warned me not to watch. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, I didn't warn you not to watch it. I just didn't. I didn't like it that much. Okay. Was- uh, and I'll, I'll give a, a quick thought on it after, but the rest of the list is Old, that movie with them on the beach. Uh, no yeah, I haven't watched that, but I've heard it's pretty good. Uh, then we watched Get Out right afterwards, which is uh, Jordan Sick. Peele. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then we watched Ready or Not, which is uh, one where a bride is getting hunted by Smar her family Weaving. on her. Yeah. yeah. You uh, know that's Hugo Weaving's daughter, the main character? I didn't, but I kind of see it in the eyes now. Yeah. Um, Mr. Anderson, and then Suburbicon, and then uh, oh. that's the one with Matt Damon. Matt, yeah, directed by George Clooney. Yeah, I forgot that movie even Correct. came out. <laughs> and then we finished the night with Brightburn. The uh, oh yeah, I haven't watched Superman. that. Fuck, I really want to watch that. So Sorry. yeah, so that was all yesterday. We just like literally we we had plans yeah. and we ended up scrapping them and and laying around the house. So cool. Uh, quick thoughts. Vivarium was bizarre, but I thought kind of interesting with that whole uh, parasitic host thing where like apparently some birds in actual reality uh, don't have the means to and, and actually care, I think care for their young. So yeah, they... care for their young. So they trick they have like natural tricks to trick other species to raise their young for them. 
yep. kind of creepy parasitic thing and and basically that's kind of the theme of vivarium while also a very heavy commentary on uh, you know, like the American dream and like people what, what in our I'm, generation and how it feels like we're being like forced into these like suburban neighborhoods right. where every house looks exactly the same, which I can say like or this mine, ideal, right? Like parents, kid yeah. house with the picket fence and, and yeah. And when they're like, I don't know if this is for us. And then all of a sudden they're just forced into. they don't have a choice. Life. That's what they're yeah. heading towards. And like, it's, and then it's pretty, you're in the middle blatant. of this nightmare Yep. And like trying to figure your way out, and then someone hands you a baby that you have to raise. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh my! God. I, I was like, okay, I get all this. When the moment when he lifted up the sidewalk and went diving under, and then you start seeing all the parallel realities, I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. I kind of wish we'd gotten a little bit more explanation there. Uh, from what I gather, it was like aliens were basically quietly invading Earth and like testing. I don't know stuff on us, but anyway, yeah, it didn't um, really give us any. I wish that we'd gotten more there because I thought that was fascinating, but. Uh, yeah, decent movie overall. I'd give it like a seven out of ten, six and a half. Did out you of have 10. quick thoughts on your other ones? Quick thoughts, yeah. Old. Um, I thought there were a lot of just kind of like director issues there because the idea is everyone goes to this beach that um, has some kind of magnetism in the rocks that makes you like age at about a year for every half hour, and basically they get like tricked into going there. They figure out like over the course of their stay there and over the day, and everyone's like dying of old age by the end of it and suffering from all like but you find out that they all had like medical conditions and like they were led there on purpose as a part of a scientific study to see what happens like they they basically got medicine given to them in secret at the hotel like experimental medicine and then taken to the island where they can study the effects of that medicine very rapidly versus having to wait for clinical trials that to be clear i did say i wanted to watch this movie that you've just spoiled (laughs) spoilers by the way (laughs) thank you it, my bad. I was getting it. I was getting a little carried away. So anyway, you're good. Um, uh, my issue was the kids grow up, you know, on this beach, and but when they get to the beach, they're six years old. They haven't received any extra education. They haven't received any extra life experiences, and yet they start delivering lines like in their adult forms that sure. a six year old wouldn't say. And they start like having more complex thoughts that I was like, dude, no, like that's, there's still the mind of a six year old. This is like, I thought that there was some discrepancies there anyway, kind of sure. bothered me, but it, it was, yeah, it was that decent. makes sense. I can see that. Um, it's, that's an M night Shyamalan movie, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Get out was, I thought great, really well directed, really high quality. I thought, but, um, definitely, you know, as a white person, it makes you kind of sit there uncomfortably. Like, is this really how, you know, minorities see us? Like, is this a narrative on like how we're viewed? by you know minority uh, groups like it's kind of a a freaking nightmare to be honest with you because like i don't have thoughts like that i don't have a secret society that does bidding on you you get anyway it it is just to me it was like making me uncomfortable because i was like oh my god i almost feel like this was created because minority groups don't vocalize how they really feel about white people or something, you know what I mean? And like suddenly this movie was willing to go there or something like that. Like like we're all crazy and see them as ob- you know, like objects or something. And I, I think like- it's more just kind of for people, like people of color. It's, you know, I think it's more representative of how they feel like they are, inter- like how, yeah. I think, it, you know, they, they enter into a, like a, a world where it's just white people and then they feel like they're being consumed. I think that that's, that's a common thing that you hear when you read sure. like study race, race studies. So yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's a, I think it's a fine commentary, but yeah, really good movie, very upsetting. And also really makes you think about like, 
you know, like the part where the dad's like, I would have voted for Obama to have a third term. And he's just like, are you just telling me that? Cause I'm cool. black. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, he goes, like, I know Tiger Woods personally. And he's like, why do why you care? Like, what, yeah, what exactly. Do? It's like that kind of like, oh, I, I have a black friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. I also, also forgot to put a movie down. I just realized we also watched Ma, M-A. Mm, uh, with yeah, Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. That, one, that one was pretty decent. Um, so real quick, Ready or Not, uh, pretty good. Uh, it was just, you know, the bride getting hunted. I, I thought it was funny. You know, there was some... some Adam Brody is really good in it. Yeah, some some uh, action scenes and stuff. I thought it was just decent overall. Just well-made movie. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It was like a slasher movie, but there's like 10 slashers and they're all inept. Exactly. (laughs) They're just like random people. And and she ends up being badass, but not in an unbelievable way. It's not like she suddenly learns how to fight or something. She just like is willing to grab something and smash somebody in the head with it. Apparently they're working on a ready or not sequel somehow. I don't know how they... They all die. They all explode in it. Yeah, I don't really know how they're doing that. But anyway, um, uh, Ma was uh, more the same, like decent, like good acting kind of crazy concept uh anyway i won't get too far into it so decent movie uh recommend oh, that's the only one you don't want to spoil the, sorry <laughs> oh. uh suburbicon uh didn't even get through it it was yeah slow. fully spoil this if you want to because this movie got such poor reviews yeah we that, looked like it got pulled from theaters like 30 minutes in and we're like oh man maybe we shouldn't have bothered it got this. pulled from theaters in its first week is how badly boring, it got boring reviewed. and slow man if they they had scenes that just took way too long that i was like this isn't adding anything like it was it was bizarre directing choices by clooney i, I was kind of bummed to see yeah. that he was the one that did this but uh yeah. i don't know yeah, they definitely tried to yeah. make it look in the advertising like it was a Coen Brothers movie, and then then they were like by George Clooney. It was like, like, like Coen mm. Brothers Fargo. Yeah. Anyway, that is Coen Brothers. So you can miss Suburban. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's, I couldn't like Coen tell Brothers you Fargo. Yeah. Sure. Is, is you what they tried to re- like recreate. Pass on that one. Wasn't worth the time. Uh, and then oh, okay. Brightburn. Uh, I thought it was. I good. heard it's good. I thought, oh, okay, cool. I thought it yeah. was good. Yeah, I won't. I won't blow it. But uh, basically, everybody dies. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> but, I want to uh, watch it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was it was entertaining. Uh, I definitely kind of wanted to pick some holes in the you know the Superman characters' intentions what, and stuff, but I thought it what was I good. loved about this film, it and it's not like a spoiler because it doesn't like in the end credits what they reveal, and I'm not it's saying there's anything an about Aquaman the Aquaman and a Wonder that Woman. That there's like evil other superheroes, so there's like an evil Aquaman, and yeah, I was just like that. I want to see an evil Justice League of teenagers. Um, it'd be sick if they made it like a backdoor uh, like pilot for basically like the Injustice the, Society yeah there you go there it is Injustice Society that would be great yeah fuck it make this guy bizarre make this kid bizarro or something and well there's there's the actual like Injustice League where it's oh bizarre, I know I know it's, it's like Earth 32 and it's all War the Woman yeah, and, Ultraman uh, yeah yep yeah, I know and the owl the owl man the um, owl man Cool. I I have a list of things that I've watched, but I've forgotten all of them, and I didn't write them down. So Jeff, you, you go. You're having a rough week, huh? Man, I'm just I'm busy. For those who don't know, because I haven't announced this on the podcast, my wife and I are having a baby, and Woo! that's yeah! a yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I that has adjusted our timetable for the new house that we've bought. We thought we had like a long we had like a couple years and we were gonna like slowly update things and then we were like oh we're having a kid fuck well we better start uh redoing the house so now we're you know eight weeks deep on a house on like basically remodeling our whole house and um uh, we're doing it ourselves and it's 
it's hard work and I'm tired all the time. <laughs> so I'll be no, doing that. Not and, even here yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be so, doing that for, for the next six months and then I'll have a baby to deal with and then I'll get to sleep. Right. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, um, Jeff, what have you been watching? So I caught up on Peacemaker. Which oh shit! We're almost to the finale, and then I think we'll just two do more, a, a recap. two more episodes of of Peacemaker. I, I'm not going to talk about any of the events of the film, but I will or the show. But I will say it's like um, people compare it to Deadpool, and I can see why that kind of adult humor in a superhero setting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, fuck! I summarized this to my friend earlier. I'll think about how I summarized it to him. I combined it as as three different. TV shows and more. It, honestly, I hadn't heard anyone compare it to Deadpool, but you doing that right now, I'm like, oh yeah, it really is kind of just Deadpool. It's like I, gritty, like superhero shit, like very like earth, like you know, was. like street level. I said, like I said, it's a fun. I said it's a fun combination of Kickass, Deadpool, and Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai, from the sense that Cobra Kai is about a guy who is out of touch with modern reality and says things that are like wildly inappropriate and peacemakers the same way. Like there's a point where he's at a restaurant that he goes, Hey, sweet cheeks talking to the waitress. Um, you know, can you take my order? And everyone at the table with him is like, that's really inappropriate. And he's like, I don't understand. And they're like, that's like calling her sugar tits. And he looks at her and he goes, but she doesn't have sugar tits. Um, her tits are too big to yeah. be sugar tits and they're not perky enough. Exactly. Te- you have sugar tits. And yeah. technically I think you do too. Although that feels inappropriate. Exactly. Like it's, it's <laughs> very, very, very funny. Super funny from a context that you understand that what this guy is saying is completely ass backwards and not appropriate at all. Uh, uh, he's John the only Cena, one that just doesn't understand it. John Cena delivers James Gunn's like, jokes so well i think like probably better than anyone on guardians of the galaxy ever did like chris right. pratt did a good job and james gunn like really put chris pratt on the map well parks and rec did but still um james gunn really like his dialogue did come out of chris pratt pretty well but like it comes out of john cena it's so funny like i just think that he delivers it really well yeah um, uh but we'll talk about the show in depth i've been watching that uh so I watched that on Friday. On Saturday, I was cleaning around the house, so I decided to throw on a film. Scrolling through HBO Max, I threw on uh, Fellowship of the Ring Extended Edition. Yeah, I, I am now a third of the way through uh, the Return of the King, um, so I'm going to finish that tonight. Uh, uh, speaking of which, did you guys see the character posters released for uh, Ring of pa- Rings of Power? Yep. I wish I knew what any of those people, <laughs> who any of those people were. I think one of them's Galadriel. I think I, know I think Galadriel's one of them is well, definitely Galadriel's in it because in the trailer we hear Gal- the actress playing Galadriel's voice. Right. Uh, we know that Sauron is in it now, and we've seen our first glimpse of what Sauron looks like, from at least what his hand looks like, his glaive and his sword. Um, I think there's p- potentially. We've seen a wizard staff. I don't know if it's Gandalf or Saruman, or hopefully it's one of the brothers, the blue brothers. Uh, that would be my dream. Uh, I don't want them to readapt Gandalf or Saruman because they're too iconic right now. And I'm not ready to let go of those performances. Um, cool. I will say uh, there is something that I watched that I just remembered. Last night I watched Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro's newest film. Um, I'm not going to give like a full review. I'm just going to say I really liked it. It's on HBO Max and on Hulu right now. So if you have either of those, I highly recommend going and watching it. It is about two and a half hours long, um, but I I watched it last night and I loved it. I thought it was really good. Uh, probably my favorite Bradley Cooper acting performance I've ever seen from him. Uh, and 
just in general, I thought everyone was good and uh, Ron Perlman's in it. So that, that makes it worth it on its own. So anyway, um, all that being said, what is your favorite fan theory? Uh, get in touch with us. Best way to get in touch with us. Um, find Jeffrey on the street and chase him to his car. And then uh, just tell him, whisper him, whisper into his ear quietly uh, as you hold him down to the ground and then, and then leave him alone, please don't hurt him. Um, and then if you can't find him though, if he's just too elusive, uh, you can email us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram, cleverkidspod on, or we're sorry, at cleverkidspod on Instagram. Um, yeah, get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Thank you again for listening. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And uh, we'll catch you next week for another random topic. Bye. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody. Thanks, everybody, more. Oh.